Let's grab our Bibles and go to Psalm chapter 61. Psalm chapter 61. <clears throat> and if you would, one more time, I know you just sat down, but if you would, let's stand to give reverence and reading this Word of God. Psalm 61, we'll read the entire psalm. The title of it is Lead Me to the Rock. It says, To the choir master with stringed instruments, and it's a psalm of David. Hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows, and you have given me the, the heritage of those who fear your name. So prolong the life of the king, and may his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. You can be seated. <clears throat> Ricky Carpenter, would you pray for us? Dear Lord, we just ask you to put the words in the heaven's mouth, dear Lord, that they touch the hearts of those who do not know you. Dear Lord, we just ask that you just lift each one up here. Dear Lord, we just ask that you just be with those who cannot. Dear Lord, we just ask you to put your loving, caring hand upon them. Dear Lord, we just ask you to receive that guard and give us where we fail in Christ's name and humble prayer. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I think it's very fitting that um, the Lord has. Um, directed us over the last few months to be fed from the Psalms. The Psalms are a, um, a wonderful collection of Holy Spirit-inspired um, artistic expressions of people's emotions. And so all of the Psalms are um, they're poetry, but they were, um, they were really um, expressions of all the different emotions that the author felt. And so there are some psalms that are psalms of praise, and some of them are, are joyous praise, and some of them are broken praise. And when you look through these psalms, you can, you can tell by the way he paints images with his words, and he uses uh, metaphors and, and similes and, and parallelism, and he, he uses all, times of, all types of artistic expressions to try to paint you a word picture of the emotions that this author is feeling and whatever it is that he's going through. And so we, we come to psalms like today that are psalms of what we'll call lament psalms. Psalms that are expressions of grief. 
and psalms that are, are prayers of grief. And, and these are God's gift to us because again, they're Holy Spirit inspired. And so when we look at these psalms, we understand that the Holy Spirit was directing this author to write in this way. And again, the New Testament tells us that all of these things were written for our example, for our understanding, for our learning. And so over the last several months, we've been able to gain a lot of knowledge from the psalms and especially in how to navigate through dark seasons in our life. Uh, we went through Christmas in the Psalms. Who would have ever thought of going through the, through Christmas in the Psalms? And yet we went through Christmas in the Psalms. And I really believe with all my heart that that was just God just, um, preparing us and encouraging us and feeding us on His Word with exactly what we needed to be able to go through dark times such as what we're going through today. There are Psalms of, of wisdom that that the author wanted to impart some instruction that he had learned. And he uses his artistic expression to impart wisdom through the psalm. There are psalms of uh, testimonies to where uh, the author had seen God do such great work in his life and in the lives of people around him. And he wanted to, uh, to paint word pictures so that people would praise God through the works that he has done. Uh, there are uh, psalms of... Um, of prayers, just like we're getting into today, or psalms of uh, expressions of, of joyful praise or broken praise. But today I want to spend some time and look at how the Holy Spirit directed David to express or to convey his emotions in one of his darkest times in his life. Now, we don't know for certain what the background is, but if any of you knew the life of David, you know that he faced many dark times. The majority of his young adult uh, adult life was spent running for his life, was spent in hiding, was spent in always looking over his shoulder trying to figure out if there's somebody there that's going to kill him. And so he was always going through dark times in his life. He lost a, a child. There, there were so many dark times that David went through in his life. And I thought it was interesting that the imagery that he paints in this one, notice the title of this says, Lead Me to the Rock. So here we have a, a metaphor that uh, David uses in which he compares God Almighty to a rock. And we're going to look at what a rock would be to David and why he makes this comparison so that we can truly get the word picture that he's trying to paint for us when he describes God to us in this way. And so I want you to notice first off, we're just going to outline this the way that I outlined it as I study it. The first thing we see in verse 1 is David's cry. David's cry. And I want you to notice the first thing he says is, God, hear me. Hear me, God. God, I need you to hear what I'm crying out to you. And then notice what he says next. God, listen to my prayer. Have you ever prayed so much and you just wondered, God, are you even hearing me? God, I need you to, to listen to me because... I keep crying out and I'm, I'm pouring my heart out with everything in me, but I just don't know if you're actually hearing me. I just don't know if, if you're listening to me or not. And now, while God is, um, 
all-powerful, and there is never a time that he doesn't actually hear a, a prayer of any kind. There are times when God shuts his ears, and that image is painted for us in the Word of God. There are times that, um, that God says, I'm not going to listen to your prayer. So it's not that He can't hear. It's that there are certain things that can be in our lives that can hinder prayer from taking place. I'm not, I could preach the whole sermon on just that alone, but we're not going there. All I'm going to do is lay out for you just a few things that you and I would be wise to check for when we're in places that it feels like that maybe God's not hearing me. Maybe God's not listening to me. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 15, Isaiah said, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen because your hands are full of blood. One of the things we see in that is that there sometimes are sins that we are holding on to in our life that we refuse to confess and we refuse to to repent from. And we love these sins more than we love God at these times in our life. And the Bible warns us and tells us that during those times that God actually says, I'm not going to listen to you. This is the reason why a lot of times I heard Kirby pray it yesterday when we were praying together. Kirby said, Lord, if there is any sin in my life that would hinder my prayers from being heard by you, then God, I confess it, I repent of it, I I want it out of my life. You know, that's a good self-examination for each and every one of us to do because how many of you know that we're all sinners? You ought to know that there are many times in our lives to where we actually, instead of confessing it and turning away from it, we hold on to it. We we, We make agreements with it and covenants with it and we say, oh, God's really not concerned about this and it's really not this big a deal or we find ways to justify it. Well, if so-and-so would have done this, then I wouldn't be doing this. Or there's so many different ways that we make agreements and covenants with our sin. And the truth of the matter is, anytime we choose to do things like that, God says very plainly, I'm not listening to you. I'm not hearing you. And so we would be wise to do self-examinations as we pour our hearts and we cry to God and we plead with Him to listen to us. Another place is in James chapter 4 verse 3. In James chapter 4 verse 3, he says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You ask so that you can just have something for your own pleasure. Now that's not to say that, that God does not give us desires of our heart. But the point being is that when you go back and you look at the prayers of the, of the people of old, one of the things they did when they prayed was they prayed and they said, God, do this for me for your great name's sake, for your glory's sake. Do this so that you will be praised and so you will be magnified. And so I believe that at the heart of our prayers need to be a deep desire that, God, I want to see you heal Brother Nick, but not just for Brother Nick's sake. Not just because I love Nick and I want Nick here with me. Not, not just because of that. But God, for your great name's sake, because at the end of the day, my life is for your glory and your praise and Nick's life is for your glory and your praise. 
And so when I ask for things, I examine my motives and I make sure that at the heart of it all is that, God, I really do want you to be glorified with my life and with all the lives of the people around me. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, it says, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Did you catch that? If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Now the truth of the matter is, sometimes we don't know what God's will is in our requests. And it's not a cop-out to get God off the hook if He don't answer it. The truth of the matter is, sometimes God's answer is, that's not my will for this situation. Prime example, the Apostle Paul. He had a thorn in his flesh. We don't know exactly what it was, but for those of you that are familiar with the story in the Bible, the Apostle Paul said, I begged and pleaded with the Lord. Now, do you know how many people the Apostle Paul saw healed with God's power? And yet he has something in his own flesh. Healed hundreds, maybe thousands. And yet whenever he pleads for his own healing on to God, God looks at him and He says... I'm not going to do it. The thorn is going to remain. Because my will in this is that in your weakness, my power is made evident. In your weakness, my strength is shown to the world. And so the truth of the matter is, when you're the weakest, that's when God looks the strongest in your life. And so there are times when the will of God is that He is not going to answer the prayer because it is not in His will. And so we pray, God, not our will, but... Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Not a cop-out. God, this is the desire of my heart. This is what I'm pleading with you on. But at the end of the day, God, I don't know what your will is in this situation. And people say, well, God's will is that you always be healed. I beg to differ what the Word of God teaches. Is Is God's will that sometimes you be healed? Absolutely. And you know why we see it so much in the New Testament and through Jesus and the apostles? The healing comes so many times because He came to purchase the redemption and to show us the first fruits of what it would look like when He comes back to give us the fullness of it. But the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8, right now we groan in these bodies awaiting for that adoption, that new body that's coming. We don't have it yet. It's been purchased And it's been shown to us glimpses of what it would look like. But at the end of the day, it's not coming in fullness until He comes back again. And so there are many times here and now that God sees fit that the thorn remain and that the healing not come. Now I'm just going to tell you the story in my life personally so that you don't think this is a cop-out. Nick had something that sounded very similar to something I had just a few years ago. Maybe not even a year ago. I I don't know how long. Two two years ago. Two years ago, or or several years ago, I was diagnosed with a uh, blocked carotid artery. And so they wanted to keep an eye on it. So every so many months I had to go and they would do a scan on it. I went to my doctor, got several scans. I wanted a second opinion. Dinah Williamson got me an appointment with a Vanderbilt doctor. I had seen a Huntsville Hospital doctor. I went and saw this other doctor. They gave me the exact same diagnosis, so two doctors with the same diagnosis. The problem was I had a twist in my, I believe it was this side, in my carotid artery. I had a twist. 
And where the twist went, there was a buildup of plaque there that was somewhere around between 50 to 70% blockage at the time, and they wanted to keep an eye on it. It wasn't terrible, but they wanted to watch it. And so every so many months, I went back and I got it scanned. Well, after about three or four years of doing this, I went back to my doctor, and they had a new lady there. The same lady had always done it up to this point. The new lady comes in there, she scans it, and she says, so why are you here? And I said, well, I have a blockage, and this is it's twisted, and this is what's going on. And she said, okay. And that's all she said. And so she scanned it again. And I'd sit there for like an hour. Normally this didn't take 15 minutes. So she, I guess because she was new, she wanted to make sure that she didn't mess something up. And so she goes back and she gets the doctor. Well, Dr. John comes in there and he, he gets the thing and he starts looking and um, he sat there and he looked at the computer and then he looked at me and he said, did somebody hit you in the neck? And I said, I don't guess so. I said, what are you, what are you talking about? And he said, well, and he showed me the old image. He said, you used to have a bend and a twist in your carotid artery and there was a blockage right here. He said, there is no longer a bend, there's no longer a twist, and there's no more any plaque in this thing. He said, it's just gone. That's all I can tell you. Now, one of the things that they told Nick was the same thing, was that the reason why they couldn't do one of the procedures they wanted to do was because he got a twist in his carotid artery. I don't know if the exact same thing or not, but it sounded similar. And so what I want to say to you is this. I know firsthand that God does still heal today. That's just one personal example. As a pastor, I can give you many examples over the years of the healing that I have seen God do personally. And I can also give you many examples of the times we prayed just as hard and they weren't healed. And so there are times that we don't know what the will of God is. And genuinely, and out of a genuine heart of faith, we just pray, God, we know what You can do. We know what You are capable of. But in this situation, we don't know what Your will is. And so we simply pray, if it be Your will, give us the desire of our heart. But nevertheless, the example we have from our Lord and Savior is not our will be done, but Yours. Be done, O Lord God. And so again, he cries to God, but he don't know if his prayers are hindered. He don't know if God's hearing him. He don't know if God's listening, but he cries out all the same. And listen, only David could examine himself and remove any obstacles. So I'm not trying to say that if God don't do this or don't do this, then it's because this person has... Only David could examine himself in his prayers and only you can examine yourself and see, are there obstacles in my life? And if there are, the, the solution is actually very simple. You know what it is? God, I confess. I confess. I humble myself. I, I repent of this. And I turn back to you because I know what sin in my life does and it separates me from you and it hinders my relationship with you. And so David cries to God, God, please hear me. And then notice next in verse uh, 2, we have the problem. David's problem. First we have David's cry, now we have David's problem. 
Here's what it is. David feels like he is far away from God's presence. Notice what he says in verse 2. From the end of the earth... I call to you. Now again, the Psalms, one of the things you're looking for when you're studying them is you want to look for word pictures. You don't just want to read it and go over it quickly. When David writes this down and he says, Lord, I'm crying to you from the end of the earth. Does that mean that David is, in, is now in, um, in the United States of America where he has been on the other side of the world? No, he's not saying that. He's painting a picture for, for, the, uh, for the readers to understand. What it feels like in my heart is right now as I pray and I call, God, it feels like I'm so far away from your presence that I'm completely on the other side of the world. Now remember, for David, Jerusalem, and for the, Israel, for the people of Israel, Jerusalem and the tabernacle was the center of the earth. That was the place where God's presence resided. And so here we have David and he feels like that literally I'm nowhere near the presence of God. I'm so far away from the center of the earth, I'm on the other end of it is the way that it feels. And then I want you to notice the next problem. He says, and I call to you when my heart is faint. So here's the next problem. Not only do I feel so far away from the presence of God, but my heart is, what does it mean to faint? To lose strength, don't it? I've got no strength in my heart. I've got, I, I, I've got an overwhelming burden that rests on my heart. And I don't know which way to turn. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Anybody ever been there? My heart is faint. Again, a word picture. Literally, you would see his heart and his heart just falls over. There's no strength to stand. I have nothing left in it. And I'm calling to you with this kind of problem in my life. I don't have no strength in my heart. I am so overwhelmed and I feel so far away from you that I don't even know if you hear me. I don't even know if you're listening to my prayer. And then at the next part of this, we get to the solution. The solution in 2B. He says, here's what I need you to do, God. I need you to lead me. Now I want you to see the progression in this. I want you to notice that there he says, lead me. Verse 4, what does he say? Let me. Verse, <clears throat> verse 4 he says, let me. And then let me again. And then he says, why I want you to let me in verse 5. And then verse 6 he says, may he. Or in verse 7 he says, may he prolong the life. May He allow His years to endure. May He be enthroned forever before God. And then notice in verse 8, He says, I will do this. And this is the progression that you're looking for as we go down through this. But first off, I want to see the solution. The first thing is, God, here's what I need you to do. When my heart is faint and I feel so far away from you, I don't even know if you're hearing me, I need you to lead me. I need you to lead me to the rock. Now, here we have another word picture. Now, this is a metaphor in which basically David takes something in his life that has been a secure place for him and he compares it 
to God in his life. And he says, I need you to lead me to the rock. But not just any rock, because David has had a rock that he went to many times in his life, and I'll show you a scripture of that here in a minute. But I need you to lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And for David, a rock was a place of absolute safety. Remember, David had ran from Saul and from enemies his entire life. All he knew was always looking for a place of safety. Always looking for a place that he could just lay his head down and rest. Can you sleep at night if you think somebody's trying to break in your house and kill you every night? And that's the way David felt every night of his life. But yet there was a place that he could go. In uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 15 through 16, listen to what he says. Three of the thirty chief men of of David's went down to the rock of David at the cave of Adullam. When the armies of the Philistines had encamped in the valley of Rephraim, David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. So David is at the rock. David is in a cave to where there is a rock. And for David, this is a stronghold. And you know what a stronghold is? A stronghold is a place to where basically it is very hard for the enemy to get to you. And so for David, the solution to his problem is, God, right now I need you to lead me to your presence. I need you to lead me to the rock, to the place to where I can find safety, to the place where I can find security, to the place that I can find a a peace of mind that I can... Lay down and I can rest because I know that you have my back. And right now, David doesn't feel like that's where he's at. And how many of you have been in a place in your life where you've prayed, but you don't feel like that's where you're at? So you know what your prayer needs to be? Lord, lead me to the rock. Lead me. Show me how to get back to this place. Because I don't know about you, but I have been in a place in my life to where I felt that God had my back. God is with me. God hears me when I call. And my prayer is, God, lead me back to that place. Lead me back to the rock that is higher than I. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, um, he is compared to a rock there. It says, There is none holy like the Lord. And this is Hannah praying. She says, For there is none besides you, and there is no rock like our God. Again, in this day and time, they didn't have bomb shelters to go to or they didn't have uh, forts that were built in in great um, garrisons of protection. But instead, all they had was rocks and caves. And for them, there was no greater place of security than a place that was a rock. And so they would compare God as their rock because He gave them this place of security and safety. David's song of God's protection is 2 Samuel 22 verses 1 through 4. Listen to what he says. And David sung the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And this is what he said. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield. He's my salvation. He's my stronghold. He's my refuge. He's my Savior. You save me from all violence. And I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And so I am saved from all my enemies. So again, for them, 
the rock was a place to where nothing could get to them and nothing could touch them. And the enemy had no chance when they were led to the rock. And I'm going to tell you something. That's the prayer we ought to be praying right now. Lord, lead us to the rock so that no matter what the enemy tries to throw at us through this time, he can't do any damage to us or our faith. Lead us to the rock that is so much higher than us so that we can rest and have peace of mind and know that You're with us. Know that we are in Your presence. So again, it's a place of protection, security. It provided everything that David needed. And if he can be led to the rock, then I know I'll be safe and I know I'll be secure from all danger. Next in verse 3. We have the reasoning. Here's why I want you to, David's reasoning. I want to lead you to the rock, to the, lead me to the rock because of this. For you have been my refuge. In other words, David just simply recalls a time in his life to where he remembers that God was with him, that God did protect him. Do you ever remember in a, a time in your life that God protected you from something? that God has been your refuge, that God has been your security, then in your prayer you say, God, this is why I want you to lead me there because I've been here before and I know what you can do if you are my rock. And then he goes on and he says, not only have you been my refuge, but you have been a strong tower against the enemy. Again, word pictures. A strong tower, when you go back in the book of Judges, if someone came and attacked the city, many of them had a strong tower. It was a place that they would go to, to up in the top of this tower and shut the door and the enemy could not get to them. The only way that they could be got is if they tore the tower down. And you go back in Judges chapter 8 and Judges chapter 9, read those two chapters and you'll see an example of it, especially Judges chapter 9, verse 50 through 55, I believe. If you'll read that, you'll see an example of it. But David just paints a picture here and he says, at this rock I find refuge. At this rock I find a strong tower, a place to where I can climb up to that's higher than I and the enemy cannot get to me there. And that's his reasoning. And then next in verse 4, I want you to notice his requests, David's requests. He says, let me dwell in your tent forever. Now it's possible that this psalm was written at a time in David's life when he's been driven out of Jerusalem. Maybe when his son Absalom had created a rebellion against him and, and drove David and, and, and many of his people out of Jerusalem. And it's possible that David feels like that he's not able to get to the tent. Remember what the tent was? The tabernacle. It was the place where God's presence dwelt. And because he was in danger, he could not get back to where God's presence was. And so he says right here, God, here's my request to you. Let me never be driven away from the center of your presence. Let me dwell in your presence forever and ever. I do not like it when I feel like that I am not with you in your presence. And you know, that ought to be all of our hearts. Do you like it when you feel like that you are not with God where you need to be? That's a miserable feeling for a Christian, ain't it? And our prayer and our request is, God, lead me to the rock. And God, let me dwell in Your presence forever. Don't drive me away from Your presence. 
And then finally, or not finally, but in the last part of verse 4, he says, And let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Now, there's a, um, a story. If you're farmers and you've ever been around chickens, you'll, you'll know this, all right? But there's a story on YouTube, if you want to go home and look it up today, it's called Call Me Chicken, all right? And it's about this farmer that um, he has these chickens, but he has one chicken that's uh, different than the rest of them. The, the chicken is a Japanese silky. And every time this Japanese silky would get in her nest to try to lay her eggs and try to raise uh, and try to hatch her little, her little uh, chicks, the other hens would come in and they would kick her out of her nest and they would not allow her to go through the period to where she could hatch her eggs. And she so wanted to have chicks, and this just went on and on and on. And the farmer, he kept watching it, and he noticed that she she would so try to go out, and when the other hens would have chicks, she would go out and she would try to, to mother them and, and take her instincts and, and apply them to other little chicks running around, and they would attack her as she tried to do this. And so ultimately the farmer decided, I'm going to build this, uh, her name was uh, Liza. I'm going to build Liza a house her own hen house, and he built this house, and he, he, he fixed it to where nothing could get into it, and Eliza, could be, uh, she could get in here, and she could have her eggs, and she could hatch her hens. And sure enough, for the first time, she gets in there, she, she has her eggs, and she has her little chicks. And so when he finally lets them out of the house to come out and play, they come out, and they're, they're going around, but Something happens. As he's looking out of his window, he sees that all the other chickens take off running for cover. And when the chickens get to cover, he noticed that Liza does not run for cover, but instead she's running because her little chicks are out here uh, feeding and they don't know anything's going on and she runs with everything in her to her little chicks. And when she gets over there to her babies, the farmer notices that a hawk is coming and it's flying over. And the hawk is fixing to come in and try to get one of those little chicks. And with one call, Liza makes a call to her babies and she raises her wings and her babies come running and they get under her wings and she rests her wings over top of them and she ducks down on the ground. And you can see it. It actually, the whole picture is on uh, YouTube. But the hawk comes down and it sees Liza and it hits Liza and uh, it looks like she's dead. And the farmer comes running out and he goes over to Liza and he looks at her and she's just laying there and he thinks that she's dead. And then a minute later, he notices that out from under her wings, here comes these little chicks. They've not been touched. They've not been harmed. They were under the protection of their mama's wings. And then a little while later, just so I don't leave you with a sad story, a little while later, the hawk had missed and Eliza picks her head up and she stands up and they all just start grazing and eating again. But it was a beautiful picture of what they understood whenever they would paint the word picture to say, God, let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. In other words, just like a little chick does when danger is coming, at one call we come running and you take your wings and you rest them over us. And when you do that, nothing can get to me. And that's what David paints this picture. God, I want to be like that little chick that when danger is coming, all I have to do is get under your wings. And if I can get under your wings, I know that I'll be safe. 
So in verse 4, let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Beautiful picture that he paints. Verse 5, and um, <clears throat> this is part again of the reasoning behind why I want to make this request. Here's why I want to dwell in your presence. Here's why I want to take refuge in verse 5. For you, O God, have heard my vows. In other words, David said, I made vows and I don't have time to teach you this, but they would make vows a lot of times when they prayed for something. They would say, God, if you will just have favor on me and do this, then I will do this. And I know there are a lot of churches today that teach that Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and He did. But He was not saying that we can't do this anymore. But it is very wise to understand that if you do make a vow before God, you better understand that a promise to God is not to be made lightly. And it is not to be broken because He will hold those accountable that make vows to Him. But he says, apparently David has made some vows to God and said, God, if you'll let me do this, I will do this. And then he says, and not only that, but God, here's why I want you to protect me and give me this refuge and let me dwell in your presence, because you've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. This is covenant language. He just simply wants God to be reminded, God, you have made me yours. I am your covenant child. You have made promises to me. And so because of that, I ask you, let me dwell in your presence. I can be there because of the agreement that you've made with me. I should be protected because of who I am with you. I'm, in other words, I am that little chick that gets under its mother or its father's wings and is protected. I'm that chick, Lord. And so please... That didn't sound right, did it? I'm that chick. Nathan, you can edit that, right? <laughs> so anyway, that is the request. And then we keep on going for the rest of the request. In verse 6, uh, the next request is, may, may this happen to me, God. And here's what He wants to happen to Him in verse 6. God, I want You to prolong my life. Prolong the life of the king. And God, I want you to make my years to endure to all generations. Again, here's covenant language. God, you've promised me that there will never fail to be a king of my lineage on this throne. You remember that promise God made him? And so here he's just using that covenant language and says, God, may the years of my lineage go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, just like you promised that it would. And then he says in verse 7, And may my life and may the king be enthroned forever. In other words, God, secure my position. And listen, I'm going to show you how I pray this because the Psalms help me pray. And I've been praying this psalm for Brother Nick. I've been praying this psalm for his family. And I've been praying that... Um, that, that, that his position as a minister of God would be able to continue in this life. And so that's exactly what he's saying here. God, let me remain in the position you have called me in forever before you. And here's the next request that he makes in verse 7. May you appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over the king. God, appoint your steadfast love to watch over me because if your love is watching over me, you know what will happen? When danger comes, I'm going to be under the wings. I'm going to be at the rock. I'm going to be in safety and security and I'm going to be in the presence of my loving Almighty Father no matter what comes my way. 
If indeed you appoint your steadfast love to watch over me, appoint your faithfulness to watch over me, and if you will appoint these things to watch over me, I know that I will be in the rock. I know that I will be in the safe and secure place of the love and faithfulness of my God and Father. And then finally, in verse 8, we have the end result. The end result. Here's what he says. I will do something. If you do these things, or even, I'm going to say it like this. David's not necessarily saying, if you do these things. He's just saying plainly, I'm going to do this no matter what you do. Notice what he says in verse 8. So will I ever sing praises to your name. God, no matter what you do, I'm not going to stop praising you. God, whether you give or whether you take away, whether you heal or whether you kill, so will I ever sing praises to your name. And if you choose to allow my life to be prolonged, and if you choose to let me dwell in your presence and to let me get under the shelter of your wings, and if you choose to appoint your steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over me, if you choose to do all these things, notice what he says next, as I perform my vows day after day, I'm going to keep my word to you. I'm going to do what I told you I'm going to do. And how many of you know that when you came to faith in Jesus Christ and you confessed Him as your Lord, you made a vow? You made a vow. And this is just simply David saying, I'm going to keep my vow. I'm going to do what I told you that I would do. And let me tell you, we're just like David. We have times in our life to where we're following God exactly where we're supposed to be. And we got times in our life where we're so far away from God, we don't even know how we got where we are. But this is the prayer for any true Christian for any true Christian that's in a dark place in their life and they need the safety and the security and the presence of God and they need to know that He hears them and that He's listening. And God, if You will appoint these things and You will give me these requests, or even if You don't, I'm going to praise You forever. But if You'll prolong my life, I will pay my respect and my praise to You through the vows that I keep to You all the days of my life. So in closing... When our hearts feel faint, there's no strength, they're overwhelmed, it feels like God isn't listening, what we learn from this psalm is that we should examine ourselves and confess any sin that's in our life and repent of it. God, I'm going to turn away from this. And I'm going to start today. And I'm going to fight this. And as I fight it, I'm going to keep confessing and I'm going to keep turning away. And I'm going to keep turning my face to follow You. God, I just ask You to forgive us of anything that would hinder our prayers. And then we simply pour our hearts out to Him. We cry to Him. And we tell Him how we feel. We tell Him how we feel. God, it feels like You're nowhere near me. God, it feels like You don't listen when I call. And God, I just want to ask You, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Let me come under the safety of Your wings. Let me dwell in Your presence. Prolong my life 
may or prolong Nick's life or who, whatever it is that you're praying for. I'm applying this. You see this today. I'm applying it to our current season of darkness as a church. But the, don't, I don't want you to just focus in on that. Because let me tell you something. Right now is Nick's dark time. If you live in this life long enough, your dark time's coming. God help them. Francis and Vegas should not have to bury their child. That ain't the way it should be. But unfortunately, that's the world we live in. That's the curse of this sin-sick world. And it should not be that way, but it is. And so in one way or another, there is a season of darkness that is coming your way. I don't say that to scare you. I say that to prepare you. And at that time, you're going to learn how to pray prayers like this and to be reminded of who God is in your life whenever it feels like He's nowhere near you. You're going to need this more than ever. And so we ask God for the request that we need. And in this case, God prolong His life. God may His years endure. God may He keep His position in your ministry. God, will you appoint your love and faithfulness to watch over Him? And God, I trust you. You are good no matter what you do. And I'm going to praise you forever whether you give or whether you take away. But God, I'll just ask you, hear our prayer. Hear our prayer and give us the request if it be Your will. If y'all would stand this morning, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer as we respond to this psalm. And then I'll give you the chance to respond in a time of invitation for whatever it is that God would have you to do. Let me pray. Father, I just pray right now. Lord, just like the psalmist said, our hearts are faint. Father, we don't know which way to turn. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to even help, Father. And Lord, right now we just we come to You and we ask You that You would hear our cry, that You would listen to us when we call. We pray, God, that if there is any sin in our life that would hinder our prayers getting to Your ears, Father, I pray that You would forgive us of it. God, we confess it this morning. We turn away from it. And Lord, we turn our faces to You. Father, I pray this morning that, um, Lord, You would look on our situation. Father, I pray, God, that You would just look down and You would see Your minister, Your servant, Your child. Lord, I pray that You would see him sitting there and laying there in the condition that he is in. Father, I pray that You would see Amanda and Francis and Fagan, and I pray that You would see their broken hearts. And Father, I pray, God, Lord, that You would have mercy on him. And Father, I pray, God, that Lord, You would just lead us to the rock. Father, I pray that we can find a place of safety and security. And I pray, God, Lord, that if it be Your will, that You would prolong His life. Father, I pray that, Lord, You would allow His years to endure. Father, I pray, God, that You would secure His his ministry, God, that He would be able to come back and give You praise and glory for, for everything that You have done in His life. Father, I pray, God, that You would appoint Your love and Your faithfulness to watch over Him, God. And Father, I pray that You would protect Him right now. And Father, no matter what You do, God, we're going to praise You. And Lord, I know that no matter what You do in Nick's life, He is going to praise You. Lord, though You slay Him, I know that He will praise Your name. And Father, I pray, God, that You would just... Lord, that You would just hear our request. And if it be Your will, that You would give us the desire of our heart. 
And Father, we will be careful to perform our vows to You. And Father, we will be careful to praise You through the storm, through the darkness, no matter what You do. Father, we love You. We praise You. And we ask You for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.